Greetings, and welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I'm Phyllis Hollis, your host. As an extension of my Instagram page, Cerebral Women, this podcast offers insights into the visual art world. I interview artists, mainly artists of color and female artists, who will freely articulate what inspires their creativity. In addition, you'll hear interesting perspectives from dedicated art professionals who work with artists and the art institutions that feature them. I'm confident that collectively, these individuals will indeed stimulate your mind as they do our eyes. Please know these interviews are conducted in my Manhattan apartment, so please forgive the background sounds of city life. Welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. This episode features Michaela Yearwood-Dan. Throughout paintings, work on paper, ceramics, and site-specific mural and sound installations, she endeavors to build spaces of queer community, abundance, and joy. Michaela's work has been shown at the Contemporary Arts Center in Cincinnati, Ohio, the Scottsdale Museum of Contemporary Art in Arizona, the Green Family Art Foundation in Dallas, Texas, Palazzo Monti in Brescia, Italy, in the Museum of Contemporary African Art in Marrakesh, Morocco, among others. Her work is in the permanent collections of the Hirshhorn Museum and Sculpture Garden in Washington, D.C., Institute of Contemporary Art in Miami, Florida, the Crocker Art Museum, Sacramento, California, the Jorge M. Perez Collection in Miami, Florida, and the Columbus Museum of Art in Ohio. In 2022, she produced her first public mural installation for Queer Circle in London. She has participated in a range of fellowships and residencies, including the Palazzo Monti Residency in Brescia, Italy, the Bloomberg New Contemporaries in partnership with Sarah Bond, the Lee Alexander McQueen Foundation, London in the United Kingdom. In December of 2023, Michaela collaborated with Dior, contributing to the eighth edition of the Dior Lady Art. Michaela received her BA from the University of Brighton, and she currently lives and works in London. Enjoy this episode featuring Michaela Yearwood-Dan. Michaela, welcome to my podcast. I am really looking forward to this conversation. Me too. When did you discover your artistic passion? I think for me, it was something that was always there. Creativity felt very much part of my youth. Um, I was always drawing, painting. Um, it would always be, you know, when you'd have the choice on like those kind of fun days in school, what thing you got to pick, take part in. It would be always be something art-based, something creative-based that I would do. Um, yeah, I think it's always been part of me. Early on when you were young, was a particular artist that influenced you or painting or sculpture that influenced you? I mean, when I was very small, I think I just enjoyed making. I think there was a, there really wasn't anyone specific. And then as I got older, I, I mean, I became familiar with the YBAs over here in the UK. So Christopheli was really the most like prominent artist that I can think of over the top of my head. Him and Sarah Lucas were the ones that sort of stood out to me as people that I was really inspired by. But, you know, when I was young, I just really wanted to make more than focus on what other people had done in the past. I just really wanted to get lost in the process of actually making something. 
When did you start leaning towards abstraction versus figurative? I think there was always a part of me that was really interested in abstraction, but through kind of school curriculums and I suppose being a black female, it felt like figurative work was the way that I had to express whatever was going on in my mind. But I always kind of wanted to steer away from it, I think from the very beginning, because I found faces tricky. And I hated the like the amount of time I would spend over trying to get things perfect. And then I would lose all interest in whatever the story was that I was trying to convey. And I was always really interested in fashion and textiles. So I think it feels quite natural that I was then drawn towards something which is so focused in the materiality of what you're making. And I think that came into its own in this realization that that's what I wanted to do during my BA. Although I still was, I feel like I was still steered and pigeonholed towards making figurative work. So my graduation body of work was figurative. And then as soon as I was able to be away from an institution, I started making abstract work. I was curious, I was going to ask you how your art professors impacted your work and your practice. I had a really good art technician and a really good sort of early, I think my, my first and second year tutor, who Mikey Cuddy, who's also an artist, and she's an abstract artist, so she was very comfortable with me expressing myself in whatever way I felt comfortable in. And the the technician was really good at teaching me how to work with materials in a very successful way that I knew how to really explore my practice through that like technical form of like mixing mediums and painting in a really traditional way but I do feel like my tutors really didn't get any of the conversation that I wanted to speak about if it wasn't figurative I mean the, the other remaining tutors who were mostly uh, all white men and yeah I was just I felt forced into making work that was very literal, very figurative, because it was the only way I was going to get the top results that I wanted to get. Can you comment on how representation is defined or measured in your work? I struggled with this a lot, actually, when I was moving from figurative work to abstract work. And that was, you know, it was a while ago. And it was before anyone really, you know, was paying significant attention to anything I was making. And and I realised that really and truly, if I'm putting myself into the work, which I do, my work is very diaristic, it's very personal, that it will always be representative to all of those communities which I belong to and feel like I belong to. You know, my work is inherently black, it's inherently queer, it's inherently female and femme. And that's simply because I made it. And because those, they're being made by the hands and by the mind of a person who subscribes to all of those signifiers. So therefore, that's what it is. And it always reminds me of like when I was younger and I would meet black people who are really into anime and I was just like wait 
are you allowed? Like, are you, are you like allowed to be into this? Like that's, and I, and I remember just thinking like, wow, that's really cool that, you know, you can be, and, and it'd be like, you know, friends of mine, there's like whole groups of like black guys and girls just like talking about anime. And I remember like, you know, wow, is anime a black? Has it got black representation? But I think it's just like, because it felt so different from everything, the culture kind of, directly assigns to you that you don't feel like maybe you can access it but there is still so much like representation within that community of people who enjoy the thing same with different art forms and different ways of having a creative outlet and things we enjoy when you're working do you think about who your audience is yeah quite often yeah a lot really actually i do think about like who they are and who i'd like them to be and I had my show in New York and I think a lot of it is that kind of idea of like expectations versus reality and I think you know if I worked in this area I'd be coming to see exhibitions on my lunch break so it's I kind of build my show around like maybe like three different types of people I would like to to enjoy the show creating spaces which are perfectly fit into a lunch hour where you know it was a room where there was a sound installation that played every hour and instead of it being on the hour it was the half past the hour because I just thought most people if they were coming on their lunch break <laughs> would like to catch a beginning of something and usually that would mean that's when they'd get there and that was kind of me thinking of those people and thinking of having seats in the space so there are places for people to rest and encouraging that process to whilst in viewing the work, the process of being able to rest and take time out. And, you know, I think of small people in terms of like children and things that they can read towards the bottom of the the piece of work. I don't know, yeah, I do think about the audience quite a lot and I think about varied versions of who the audience could be. For me, it's very important. When do you know work is finished? When when the deadline is nearing. <laughs> uh, sometimes it just has to be finished. It really varies. It feels like sometimes I have to tell myself something is finished without doing, like, my natural sort of checklist of a few things that I do, like... I have this thing about, is there enough embellishment? Has it got text? Has it got this? Has it got that? And sometimes I have to tell myself that it doesn't need to have all of those things for it to be a fully resolved piece. But it's hard. It's difficult. But, you know, often it really is when I just feel like I need to move on to the next thing. And I think if I sat with, I would say about 50% of the paintings that I've put out in the world, if, they, if I had them back in the studio, I would find something different to do to them. When do the titles enter the creative process? Sometimes during, sometimes in like, you know, it'll vary between very early stages of the painting or I'll have, or I'll heard something and I would have written something down and I would think that that would make a great title. I keep like notes in my phone constantly and Things will be in bold where I think they'll make a great show title. There'll be things in there'll be things in italics that I think will make a great uh, title of a work. 
and things that I think will be like interesting text to embed within the work or like an idea that I should, you know, kind of think about further. And sometimes the titles come really close to the end and other times they come because the shipping people are on the way to the studio. <laughs> and I need to title some works before they go out. And I quickly scramble, will open up a few poetry books and, and uh, you know, stick on some music um, and pick out some lines that I think can relate quite well to the work. But yeah, it varies. I think everything always varies with me. Sometimes it is a little last minute scramble. I could have worked on a piece for a month on and off, yet somehow the title would never have come to me and I'd be super happy with how it turned out, but I just haven't thought about what it'll be called when it goes out into the world. And are you listening to music while you're working? Oh, always. I mean, between music and podcasts, but I think it's for different stages of of how I'm working. You know, when I'm doing ceramics, it's usually reruns of a TV show or a podcast. When I'm really starting a painting, when I'm like really involved in like my whole body in the work where I'm doing big brush strokes and I'm I'm not really in the detail parts. It'll always more than likely always be music. And then when I'm getting in a bit more detailed or I'm sitting at the painting on a chair, I'm very close to the surface of the canvas, then that's often when podcasts come into play. But I always like to have something on. You mentioned ceramics. What is your opinion on ceramics being considered fine art? So I definitely think that ceramics should be considered fine art. I think the thing is with the idea of fine art, it's really about intent and concept more than it is about the actual physical skill set that is being put in place. If you, as the practitioner has like an, a wider idea as to why you might be making this object that is for it to be looked at or interacted with in a less or practical way, I think then of course it's fine art. But I just, I think people, especially when it comes to ceramics, the same with lots of textile work, it's something which feels quite traditionally female in some places, in some contexts, I say, and therefore people kind of kind of view it as this outsider art because anyone can do it. That's something that I love about it is that anyone anyone can pick up clay and make something from it. It's such like a useful material. But anyone can do the same thing with with a paintbrush. You know, I got some rooms in my house painted recently and I thought wow what a skilled practitioner look at these straight straight lines and this like everything is like done so perfectly and I'm just like wow I can do that but I can I could do that but like with great difficulty and the same I think they the same with what I do I'm sure they they wouldn't find that easy and I think it's all about the reasons why the person is making the thing and using that material. So I think it's great that ceramics is being considered fine art and it should be and it should have always been. 
the same with a lot of textiles work and collage and I don't know people love to just try and make art more highbrow than it needs to be everyone just needs to relax do you feel black art can be defined it's art made by black people yeah for me that's how black art can be defined I think I don't think you have to necessarily look at a work and see it and know that the person the artist who made it was or is black but I think anything that is made at the hands of a black person is is art like that you know that is art is black art I don't think it has to look a certain way or speak on a certain subject black art is so multifaceted and that's simply to me what defines black art what are you excited about right now I mean, in life, I feel I'm quite excited about Christmas for the first time in forever. Uh, <laughs> I just moved into a house and I'm very excited to celebrate it here. I'm excited to find a bit more of a balance with work and life. I think it's been an ongoing process to figure out how to keep up a workflow and also have a social life, a happy home life. Um, And I'm excited about really figuring out that balance. And I feel like I'm doing it slowly, but surely. But that, you know, that's what excites me. I would say there's other projects coming up this year, but like, they're all great and they're all amazing. And I'm, of course, excited about them, but they're not the thing that comes to mind straight away. It's about finding out this balance. What do you enjoy most about being a visual artist? Enjoying most is just like actually getting to make. You know, for the past two months, I was basically working on a whole body of ceramic works. And last week, I was watching a bunch of other um, artists in their studios on YouTube. And I just had this enormous urge to paint on a canvas <laughs> and I was like and I was just like wow I need to I want to switch this up right now and do something different but I had this deadline to meet and I just felt so excited about making and I think that's that's what I think is most exciting and that's the thing I like the most about the work I do is that I get to do that and If you weren't a visual artist, what other career path would you have chosen? I would always be something that was creative, something that I could use my hands in. I always think that I'd probably teach, but I would want to teach outside of a conventional sort of school setting. And I'd probably want to work with children and young people. That's something I think I would definitely be doing, running classes and workshops and building like a, a young community of creative people. I think that's what I would want to do. How do you keep learning? I guess I keep on asking questions. How can I do that? How is that made? How is that done? And also being audacious. <laughs> Just thinking and having the complete audacity to think that I can figure it out and can do it. Someone asked me the this week what I was going to wear for um, my wedding and I was just like oh you know we've got the registry and we've got the main the main day and I was like yeah I think I'm going to make my dress for the registry and they're like oh I didn't know you can make clothes and I was just like I can't 
<laughs> I've, I've never made a garment before, but I've sat with a lot of people, a lot of people of my family. I sat with them and watched them do it. So, you know, I'll figure it out. I, I can, I can do it. I'll do it. And and I think it's that. It's the that's how I learn. It's like being curious and also just having the audacity and also listening. You know, like especially when I think on like a a socio-political level if I you just got to listen and figure things out and ask questions and be open to the giving and, re- and receiving of information what's your process like of choosing colors I try with my whole heart to not use pink <laughs> <laughs> I try with my whole being to not use pink pink green and blue I try I feel like I enter every painting before it's started and I think I'm not going to use pink, green or blue in this one. And then I just look at it and I'm just like, it's dead. It has no life. What is this? <laughs> and then I add in a bit of pink and I'm like, wow, there it is. <laughs> there it goes. My process with colour is just more is more. Like, why not? Uh, <laughs> I... I love colour. I think colour is one of life's great joys, is colourful work. I even love when things are... I think I love texture. I love even like the monochromatic. I love kind of like looking at what hues built this colour, like if it's like a greeny blue versus like a grey blue and all of them together. I, I just... I just think they're great. And sometimes it'll be just straight from my mind. Sometimes I'll look at books and I've got, you know, several books on nature and lots of floristry books as well. So I'll kind of look at the composition of colours within a, a bouquet. Then they've got like a few kind of like, you know, more traditional, more like scholar-based colour theory books where people would have um John Albers and there's this little Japanese one which I think most painters have a little color dictionary where you know if you're feeling stuck but there's one color I specifically want to use I'll flick through and see how you know one of these guys have have paired it up with you know three or four other colors and build a composition from that I just love color I've really enjoyed our conversation and um, this is our last question. What do you feel is the purpose of art? And as an artist, what is your role? I think the purpose of art is to enjoy and inspire and to provoke question. But then at the same time, I do think that the, um, the enjoying part for me feels a bit more important than the asking question part sometimes and at this stage of my life maybe I think it's very important that people can see something and enjoy it and not feel pressured to have to explain why they enjoy it why they like it and just get to feel free and true in themselves that it's something that they they just like and I think the role of an artist is to live and create authentically and that can be from just making 
really beautiful colour field paintings and all that could be from really in interrogating the world through polit like through like political meaning through their work. But I think it is just about putting forward your most authentic self and feeling free and safe to be able to share that. I think weirdly people put a lot of pressure on artists to speak for whole communities but I think the reason why artists and how artists artists have always existed is kind of being on the outside of things looking in kind of creating from that place I don't know maybe I'm just waffling (laughs) but yeah that's what I think just to make thank you for sharing those thoughts I've really enjoyed this interview thank you so much thank you so much I've enjoyed speaking with you Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram.